This episode of Dear Culture is brought to you by Ford. Introducing Ford's lineup of electrified vehicles featuring the fully electric 2021 Mustang Mach-E and the F-150 Lightning truck available spring 2022. The Escape SE plug-in hybrid and the Maverick truck available fall 2021. Ford's options include hybrid standard, all-electric, and plug-in hybrids. Other available features include plug-in electric power outlets, a Sync 3 system, Ford Copilot 360 Assist, and advanced technology to keep you connected. Ford also offers you the largest public charging network in North America, with simple and easy access to the Blue Oval Charge Network, the largest public charging network in North America offered by automotive manufacturers. Tap into the electric revolution by heading to Ford.com for more information. Built Ford Proud. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your guest co-host, Natasha S. Alford, Vice President of Digital Content and Senior Correspondent for The Grio Digital Network. And this week, we're asking, Dear Culture, what it doula? So first of all, obviously, my co-host Shauna is not here this week. But we are blessed to have a special guest co-host, my dear colleague and sister, Natasha. Natasha, welcome back to Dear Culture. I think this is a really full circle moment because people might not know that Dear Culture was an idea that came from Natasha. She, she might not take credit for it, but I'm going to put it out there on the record that Dear Culture was something that Natasha came up with to bring to the griot. And it, it has become the flagship podcast. Now we have more than one podcast. And we went through a, a, a series of changes throughout the show and before me and Shauna became the permanent host. So it feels only right that with Shauna and I here this week to have you, Natasha. Um, and I'm really happy to see your beautiful face. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I love this full circle moment. Um, I'm so proud of y'all. Y'all are killing it. Shauna, shout out to Shauna, my girl Shauna. She's off doing great things in journalism this week. But this is this is the beauty of, you know, just the the community investing in storytelling. And these stories that we tell on this podcast are incredibly important. Um, I know I will be listening to Dear Culture episodes as I am driving upstate for the holidays. I don't know about you, Jaren. If you're traveling, um, I will be seeing family and I'm excited. I'm I'm going to be sampling lots of food. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. I can't wait for the holidays. Yeah. So obviously on this show, we talk about what's on our mind before we talk about the top of the show. And uh, I'll start first. You know, what's been on my mind, uh, I shared last week that I went to uh, the doctor uh, because I was having like some like audio issues in my ear and like a ringing sound. And it led to me finding out that I had a, a, a deviated septum. And so I'm continuing on my, my health journey of going to the doctor, being a real adult, because we all know adulting is hard. You know, I'm 32 years old and I feel like I'm still figuring it out. Uh, but I went to the dentist for the first time. I'm not going to say publicly how long it's been, but just know that it's been a very long time. And I was ashamed. Like I think the longer you go without going to any doctor, 
you just will just you'll just put it off because you don't want to uh you're just scared of what might the, the results might be you are embarrassed so going to a doctor and saying i haven't been here in a long time so i went through that whole process and i went to the dentist and they were like you have uh you have pretty cute teeth you know they didn't they didn't see anything initially wrong and then they went they kind of like did a deep dive into and they found you know cavities they found um like issues with my gums and so I had my first procedure, uh, which was a deep cleaning. And it wasn't, you know, thank God for the advancement of medicine. You know, they, they numb your mouth. So, you know, I can only imagine what it was like before they had medicine to like numb your mouth. Uh, it would have been so painful. <laughs> but I, I didn't like it because like I've, it reminded me how fragile we are. And at any given moment, you know, we are not in control of our bodies, you know, and it's been a very uh, sobering, eye-opening experience. I have two more procedures uh, after this first one. And it's very expensive. Like I'm probably paying like close to a thousand dollars out of pocket. And I have health insurance. Like My insurance is covering like probably half of these procedures. And so it's a reminder, one, thank God I have health insurance. You know, I, I think it's, impo- it's important to also recognize that that everyone doesn't have health insurance and we should really uh, ensure that everyone has access to health care. And thank God, you know, I, I can afford to pay out of pocket. There are people who have health insurance and can't pay out of pocket. So it, it's been a very humbling experience. Um, but just my message to everybody is to... Go to the doctor, no matter how long it's been, especially my black men, because we have a habit of powering through and thinking that we're we're supermen or super people, superhuman beings, and we're not. You know, we are susceptible to, you know, with age comes ailments and your body changes. And while I think I'm a healthy person, you know, you just never know what's going on inside your body, even if you feel like when you look in the mirror, everything is fine. Um, but I'm glad that I have turned the corner um, and I'm, I'm on the road to better health. I'm so glad. It's so funny. You were talking about uh, having cute teeth. You have a great smile. So see, because <laughs> you're cute on the outside doesn't mean you don't have to go get checked up exactly. <laughs> about what's going on on the inside. You know, I, I well, what's been on my mind is uh, kind of related in that I always go into the holidays talking about, okay, you know, what's the fitness plan? How can I be like really thoughtful about uh, enjoying my favorite holiday treats while staying healthy? This year, I'm just not worried about any of that. Um, I'm giving myself permission to enjoy as much food as I want, to sample all the food that I want. I'm actually going to be uh, cooking more dishes this year. Uh, Now, as as a mama, you know, um, I feel that <laughs> I can't just sit around and eat. I'm going to try to contribute something. This is me trying to adult, Jaren. I'm trying. I'm trying very hard. Um, so anyways, I'm very excited to to cook this year. And we'll, we'll be trying out a few different things. Uh, with the holidays in my family comes coquito season. Because, you know, we, we're... we're we're African-American and we're Puerto Rican. So we, we do everything. We do soul food. Uh, we do the coquito, we do empanadas, uh, rice and beans. So yeah, I'm excited to, uh, pick a few of those dishes to bring to the table. And, um, 
to be carefree. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. <laughs> You're creating your first uh, family uh, tradition. So I am so happy and I can't wait to hear how it all goes. Exactly. You you got it. That's what it is. It's it's now creating my own traditions. And so I'm excited to, to do that with my family. Mm-hmm. So most people may not notice, but the most popular birth month is August. Shout out to all the Leos and the Virgos out there. That means that this time of year is when most people are actually conceiving. Black birth workers or doulas are birthing a new movement in communities of color. And so this week, we'll be discussing how we can support families as they continue to grow, including the growing trends of Black women opting out of Western birthing practices. This includes the rise of Black doulas, providing high-quality care and ultimately achieving racial equity for Black mothers, birthing people, and children. Today, we'll be joined by Stephanie Henriquez and Tia Dowling, who are birth workers and childbirth educators whose work aims to improve outcomes for mothers, birthing people, and babies, especially in the Black community. We'll talk to them more about the importance of perinatal care and various non-medical supports that can positively impact parents and babies. Let's get into it. So Natasha, I really, I really, I'm really happy we're having this conversation um, because this is a really important topic. And as I'm getting older, so many of my friends, including you, are starting families of their own. And you know, here at the Grio, especially, we talk about uh, the important of the importance of standing up for Black lives. And I think it's important to punctuate that. It also includes starting with lot for young, you know, young, young children and, and advocating for black life starts early, some t- before the birthing process, really, when you think about it. Um, and, you know, I have friends who have had difficulty um, through the process of having a baby and bringing a baby to this world. Um, you know, one of my close friends. Uh, she she had uh, a very interesting uh, journey. Uh, she also um, had like health complications added to being pregnant, um, and so she had to make so many decisions, kind of like on the fly, because at, at every turn throughout her pregnancy, uh, things were changing, and she had a lot of questions. And there's so much information that you likely don't know when this when this your first your first child, especially. And I know that it can't be easy. Like, I know for me, we, we were talking about adulting at the top of the show, and there's no bigger adulting moment than becoming a parent and preparing to, like, start a family, whatever that might look like, but especially through the birthing process. And Natasha, I know that you have firsthand experience because you are a new mom. Uh, shout out to my beautiful nephew, uh, Julian. Um, and I, hey, Juju. Hey, Juju. Uh, and I want to ask you, Natasha, how would, how, sorry, my Siri was, was my Siri came up. <laughs> so Natasha, I want to ask you, you know, because you, you have experienced uh, the process of birthing, could you describe what your experience was? I know uh, you, I, whatever you can share uh, publicly, but how did you um, decide to uh, start your process of birthing and did you have a doula? Great question. 
So you were there for some of it as a friend, which is so cool because it, it really is, you know, there's so many different parts of it, right? Um, my birthing experience was a bit of a roller coaster. The beginning was very exciting, just like when you're going up the roller coaster, right? And I actually had a really great um, black woman doctor who was a part of that early stage of the process. And then at a certain point, you know, you reach a certain number of weeks in the pregnancy. Um, I had to transition. I had to go more into, um, a high risk practice who, uh, you know, a place that could handle, uh, someone like me who has lupus and all these other health factors. And so that's when things became a little bit trickier, right? Uh, I was dealing with just, you know, a bigger system, and, and, um, you have lots of questions and you want to be positive. You want to be excited, but also you read all of these headlines about how risky it is to be a black woman giving birth. And so, um, I think sometimes people underestimate how that feels to be constantly bombarded with news about the things you have to worry about at a time when maybe you want to be excited and joyous. Uh, so the journey was uh, challenging for different reasons. Um, my son was growing at a, a smaller rate at a certain point in the pregnancy. And so he had to be monitored a lot more regularly. I ha- had to start taking these things that were called like stress tests or non-stress tests. Uh, they were really stressful <laughs> because I wasn't passing them. And so I was not allowed to leave the hospital until I passed these tests because uh, it could be indicating that there was something going on uh, with the baby. And so there was one time I was held in the hospital for days and they were telling me that, hey, you may end up having to give birth here. And I didn't even have a car seat at home. <laughs> like, can you imagine being told, oh, okay, you might actually not be going home and you might be giving birth and uh, you have nothing ready. So uh, that, that was a stress point for me. Um, but, you know, there were also many joyous moments, right? Uh, you know, seeing the sonogram and seeing his heartbeat and hearing it for the first time um, every week, just sort of the, the development process. It was just so fascinating. It was so, it felt so sacred and magical. Um, and, you know, this was a, a very interesting time to, to be somebody who was pregnant because so many of the appointments you have to go to by yourself uh, for, you know, safety reasons. And, and new precautions that were in hospitals. Um, but once we got to the end, that was the, the big final push, uh, so to speak. And I'm so grateful that I brought in a doula. I had been going back and forth about it. I didn't know if I wanted another person in the room with myself and my partner. It just felt like such a, a sacred kind of space. And I'm like, what does that do when you bring another person in? Right? Like, how does that change the vibes? Um, but I, I felt that because it was a high risk pregnancy and there was a chance that, you know, I may have to get a C-section or it may just be a little bit more complicated that having another person in the room might be worth looking into. So funny enough, I, I, I just texted, I, I texted one of my homegirls, shout out to Lauren Grant from the Grant Access, Lauren Grove now. And it was the same week. I'm pretty sure it was like the same week I was giving birth. And I'm like, Hey sis, do you know any doulas? <laughs> and it, it, you know, waited up until the last minute. But sure enough, I found an amazing doula who talked with me and said, you know, I know you're on the fence, 
but you're, you're, you're not going to regret this. You are going to want me to be there. And so, um, I'm so glad that I, I went with that and the experience of having her there helped me at every moment that felt uncertain. Uh, the moments when, you know, maybe the pain felt like it was too much to bear. She knew exactly what to do. She had a little bag of tricks, you know, from aromatherapy to like just different sort of massage techniques that she tried. And she knew when to bring my fiance in uh, at the right moment, right? To let us have time together, but also when to step in um, woman to woman in our case uh, and, and tell me what I needed to hear. So Highly, highly recommend having a doula if you're on the fence. And I think it it sort of leads to some larger questions about like what family planning conversations actually happen. Because again, you know, the, the conversation of should we have a doula was something that came pretty late. Um, and it's just one of many questions that are part of like the entire sort of family planning uh, umbrella of topics you would be talking about. So Jaren, I'm going to actually flip this question to you. Like, what are some of the things that you're hearing from people as they talk about family planning, you know, in your different circles? Well, to be truthful, I don't have a ton of friends in my circle who are talking about family planning. Uh, and so I feel like incredibly um, new to this conversation. It wasn't until, you know, you you became pregnant, another close friend of mine who you know became pregnant. And then it started to like really impact me in a different way. I'm like, wow, like this is like, it's a, so much to think about uh, that I never gave thought to before. Um, and so it's been a humbling experience seeing my close friends uh, cr- to, to start to create their families of their own. Um, you know, obviously I'm a gay man. And so a lot of my circles are like gay men. Right. And so family planning for us is different. When we talk about planning for families, it's like adoption or, you know, are we going to do in vitro? Can I, can I afford it? And I think affordability is a big part of the conversation in family planning for any family, whether it's a, a LGBTQ plus family or a traditional family. Um, and you know, I cannot imagine the, the amount of information overload, right? It's like once you be, once you find out you, that you're expecting, you you don't really have that much time. There's just so much information. I know, Natasha, you've been really good with this. I saw you reading books <laughs> and like really educating yourself. And I think that, yeah, it, take, it takes a village and it takes, um, you know, doing that, that, that work. And um, I know that I can imagine for not every uh, birthing person has the time or resources uh, to 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 get that information. But where you can get that information, I would say, you know, do the best you can. Uh, ask ask people in your family or ask people in your circle who have already uh, started families how their experience is. Um, and so that's the only advice I could possibly give as a man who, who just doesn't, who's really new to this conversation and doesn't have a ton of experience. Oh, don't worry. We're all trying to figure it out. <laughs> Actually, I wrote a little bit more about the journey uh, in this article for, for Vogue.com um, because that is the thing. Like sometimes you think you know how you will handle a situation. And then when you're actually in the situation, you realize there's just too much information to process, right? And so many emotions are connected to it. 
all the more reason why having a doula is great because this person is a little bit more removed. They've had, you know, other experiences, uh, and of seeing a birth take place. And so they can give you that extra perspective that maybe you may not get from, uh, a partner or a family member, uh, who all may love you, but they all, you know, kind of have their own opinions and experiences. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest to give us much more information on childbirth and the age-old practice of birth work that is making a major resurgence in particular in Black communities. Tia Dowling is a certified birth and postpartum doula and certified lactation consultant who has worked in the special services space for over 20 years. She found her passion in being a birth worker, supporting people through preconception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. And she's also a proud mom of a six-year-old son. We are also joined by Stephanie Henriquez, a licensed social worker and certified birth doula focused on safety and thriving. Stephanie works across the health and human services continuum in service of families, including parent support, equitable child welfare practices, and clinical models for mental and physical wellness. In addition to being a certified doula, lactation consultant, and childbirth educator, Stephanie is a birth justice advocate who trains doulas in the importance of the intersection of reproductive justice and racial equity. Tia and Stephanie, welcome to Dear Culture. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having us. So Stephanie, Tia, thank you so much for joining us here on Dear Culture. I'm very fascinated by this conversation because obviously I'm a man. And so a lot of this uh, I'm very clueless to. Uh, and for our listeners who are not, you know, uh, educated on what the work of birth work is um, and what that really means, could you explain to our listeners what is birth work? And could you describe the difference between uh, a birth worker and a doula? So. Um, thank you so much for ask, asking that question. I think historically doula is a word that comes from the Greek that means servant. And so that is someone that is the servant to women. Um, and so historically, especially as people of color, women have gathered together around families that were birthing additional members into their family. And so even though right now it's the up and coming new thing, as people of color, we've always surrounded and supported one another through birth. Um, and so absolutely, I think that it's a resurgence that's happening, but it is in our bloodline to support one another through this really um, wonderful and transitional process in life. So, And I would love to talk even more about the the origins, right? Because, you know, sometimes uh, we talk about things as if they are trends. And the reality is that there's a much deeper history there. And we know, particularly in the African American community, uh, we have had to come together when traditional medicine was not welcoming to us, right? And and had to take care of each other. So, so maybe we can dig into uh, the origins of uh, doulas and birth work and, and what that has meant for our community. Sure. So, so when I think about um, doulas, we think about a community of people coming to support one another in birth. And 
So traditionally, as people of color, um, even when we were not allowed into hospitals, we had granny midwives that would be there to support our births and to make sure that we were safe giving birth. And we would have family members around us and doulas around us to support us during this process and to be with us postpartum and to make sure that we were fed and we were taken care of. And even though now I think, of course, it's really trendy and everybody has doulas and you see people on on celebrities that have doulas, doulas have been around forever and just been there to support families. Um, and I think that the benefits of doula support are are being able to have someone to depend on, have someone to connect with during this process, which is an um, the emotional aspect of birth is equally as important as the physiological portion of the birth. And so when we think about doula support, it, it is in our ancestry to provide support for families that are birthing. I also learned that there is more than one type of doula. Uh, there's a birth doula, there's a postpartum doula, or a full spectrum doula. Uh, Stephanie or Tia, could you explain a bit about the differences, the different types of doulas that there are? Certainly. Thanks, Sharon. Um, so a full spectrum doula kind of is like that big umbrella that covers everything from birth to postpartum. Right. Um, and then you have like your specialty doulas where things kind of break off into different um, uh, specialties. Right. So you have a birth doula and that's someone who's really um, uh, well versed and specializes on the birth and getting families prepared to welcome their new family member, right? Then you have a postpartum doula that specializes on the aftercare, that physiological piece that Tia talked about that happens after the birth. And then once you've welcomed the healing process um, that the woman's body will, will go through um, as as they go through that fourth trimester, which is the last three months after after the baby is born. Um, there are fertility doulas. There are doulas that um, specialize in helping queer families um, come to the realization of having family. So, you know, there is a doula for whatever kind of need you may you you may have. It's so funny because I think about all these Hollywood movies where, you know, they have the, the mom there and her partner's there and she's yelling and screaming. That's like sort of the image that they give you of what birth looks like. Um, and, and so the, the question is like, who really should have a doula, right? Uh, you know, if you have someone who is going to be there, uh, maybe you're involved, they're your husband or your partner. Um, do you need a third person in the room? I know I definitely was like, mm, I don't know how that's going to go. Like, what's the vibe going to be? And then when I actually did it, it ended up being the best decision I ever made. So, so how does someone make that decision about whether they want another person in the room during this really, really special time? I'll start and then maybe Tia, you can back me up on this one. Um, so I had a doula um, at my birth uh, and it was by far the best decision that I had ever made. I was a doula before I had a child. Um, and so my my connection to birth work is much different. I've come to this work before having having a baby. And I recognize the importance of having that additional support. I always say, particularly to my potential clients, like having a doula is you have a person that's in the room that doesn't have the same emotional connection um, to the birth of this child the way a, a parent would, right? So you're welcoming a new person. There's a new life that's coming. You don't have that medical 
connection the way doctors have to the birth and it's a person that's a that has a kind of clear mind um, that knows the space and has the ability to provide evidence-based information um, to kind of, you know, assuage any fears or things that may come up during the birth. So to answer your question, like who needs a doula, I'm going to flat out say everyone needs a doula, right? I don't think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, this person needs one more or not. I mean, there are folks who could benefit certainly from having a doula. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to just, you know, um, just add on to Stephanie. She put that so succinctly. Um, and when she's talking about those specific populations of people, we're talking about people of color, uh, BIPOC individuals um, that, you know, have better outcomes when they have doulas. Um, they have, you know, less things that happen at their birth, less interventions, and they are... A, are way better off um, birthing with the support of a doula. And I think to Stephanie's point about a person that's in the room that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily emotional about the birth because you as an individual um, are having a very emotional process that is happening to you, but your doula is calm, cool, and collective about what is about to happen. And so we are able to lend a very clear eye in terms of how we show up and how we support families that are birthing. And to Stephanie's point, I think that everyone needs a doula. Are there some populations that will benefit for for them more than others? Absolutely. And those are um, BIPOC individuals. Yeah, I have to say that other person in the room felt like another advocate, right? Another pair of eyes. You're going through it and you feel like maybe there's something you might be missing and you're in pain um, at times. And so this this other person, I felt, had my back, you know? And, and as, uh, as a Black woman, that is essential when you know you're going into a system that, um, you know, can be, can be challenging for us. I wanted to just add that I had a doula and that's what led me to this work. And my doula was like so no nonsense that I felt so empowered to ask questions. And at the end of my birth, they were really sick and tired of me because I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to ask this. And, you know, the worst they can say is no. And, you know, and it's my birth anyway. So I felt very empowered by the process of having a doula and that helped lend me to become a doula. And, you know, obviously I can imagine finding a good doula that, that fits your family and your needs um, is something that is incredibly important. Um, and maybe, Stephanie, you can, ask, you can answer this question uh, first, but what are some good doula interview questions? What is something that black people should be seeking out in their doula? Um, are there doulas with particular uh, specialties that they should be looking for? So I think um, there's definitely a a myriad of questions that you want to ask, right? Um, And these questions could go for anyone. You want to know, what might be important to you is you might want to know, you know, how many births have they supported and and what type of different locations because birth happens in many different places. There are home births, there are births in birthing centers, um, there are births in hospitals. So depending upon the type of birth that you want to have, you want to know, you know, if if your if the person who's supporting you has supported in any of those kinds of locations you also want to know um, you know what 
kinds of things in terms of like interventions and things that they bring to the birth because each doula has a different you know set of tricks in their bag um there are some doulas that come to the birth and they're like all i need are my two hands and then there are some births some doulas that will you know if you want crystals if you want music if you want aromatherapy if you want you know acupuncture and, and things of that nature so each doula can come with a number of different specialties. In terms of questions that BIPOC or Black people should be asking, um, are you know particularly where, what location you're birthing in? Um, you want to know, you know, will your will your uh, birth worker feel comfortable, you know, being able to advocate with you, alongside you, right, and in service of you? Um, you want to know, you know, what is their experience with, you know, particular providers. Um, as birth workers that that do this full time and make the rounds around certain practices, you know, birth workers have lots of information about different practices different birthing locations. Just to follow up real quickly, you mentioned birthing center. Um, I never heard of a birthing center. So could you describe the difference between a birthing center and a hospital? Is there a benefit to one or the other? So yes, I, um, the, a birthing center is a space where people birth outside of their homes, where there is monitoring of the birth and of the person that's birthing, right? But there is not any... Um, um, extra added uh, medications in terms of pain management. There is not any. Um, um, there's not any um, room for like a surgical birth if that presented itself. And so, usually, people that birth in birthing centers are people that are low risk. When I say low risk, um, they may not have any prevailing issues or maybe any comorbidities, maybe like high blood pressure or. Um, gestational diabetes, um, and those people could potentially birth at a birthing center with very little interventions at a birth. And at a birthing center, one of the, the benefits of being at a birthing center is that the option of being able to birth in water is available as well. This connects perfectly to uh, something that I've been thinking about in this interview, and it's just the changes that have happened, you know, to the way that we approach birthing uh, because of Western medicine, right? So uh, there was actually a lot of intervention in my birth because I have lupus and, you know, I had all these other risk factors. So I had to go to a hospital. Um, but what are some of the other changes that Western medicine has made to the way that we approach birth? And like, how does having a doula kind of bring us back to the uh, the transitional or traditional practices um, that existed prior to colonization across different cultures and communities? So I think uh, one of the things is that we have definitely seen a medicalization of birth that has occurred. Um, we, we often see a lot of monitoring during birth um, and that also varies during, you know, varies by location and practice and things of that that nature. You spoke to the fact of, you know, having to visit the hospital frequently, right? And so having lots of testing and testing testing done. Um, uh, birth has become more medicalized, uh, I would think, at you know the beginning of the 1800s is where we started to see home births, um, a transition from home births towards um, going into hospital births. And when we saw that transition, that birth became a medical act, right? Which means it's there is something that has to be looked at, something that has to be treated. Um, 
prior to that, we had granny midwives, as, as Tia mentioned, um, that delivered at home um, and it was completely safe and there was nothing there was nothing that interfered with that. And so the presence of having a doula now um, does bring back that kind of indigenous practice of where we have the support. Um, birthing people historically have have birthed in community like that that is something there has always been folks that have been around you'll know if you're familiar with the red tents like there have always been people that have been to come around communities um, in ancient or in, in African processes, um, you see that there are naming ceremonies or places where children are brought to the community so that um, folks know that a new life has joined. And, you know, one thing our listeners may be considering is whether or not having a doula is uh, scientifically proven. Does having a doula statistically impact birth? Is this just a resource that can support us uh could it, could it support in minimizing anxiety? Is there a science behind it all? Yeah, so doulas, yeah, doulas absolutely are confirmed to lower the incidences of cesarean rates, also to lower um, interventions um, as well. And so there is um, studies that have proven that the the added um, the added support of a doula definitely can change the outcome of your birth. Um, and your pregnancy. That's great. I am thinking now about anybody who's listening to this show and says, okay, so where do I find a doula? <laughs> right? Uh, Erica Badu can't be everybody's doula. <laughs> Shout out to Summer Walker. I was like, wow, she has Erica Badu as her doula? Like, that is a dream situation. Um, so so for, for our, our people across the globe who are listening, what's a a sure and like reliable way to find somebody who uh, is quality and trained and um, going to help enhance the birth experience. Sure. Um, so there are a number of different ways that you can find a doula. Um, there are local community doula um, organizations and community doula programs that provide low cost and sometimes free or pro bono um, doula services uh, to the community. Um, and then, as you mentioned, there are, you know, star doulas to the doula to the stars, right? Where there are plenty of, of folks that you can just type in your, your local space, you know, your local Google and say, Hey, we're looking for, I'm looking for a doula. And there will be a number of listings that will pop up. Um, I think it's really important. Like you, there is something that you mentioned, you said certified, I want to mention. I want to. I want to highlight that certification, particularly for Black doulas, has been a bit of uh, gatekeeping because we recognize that this is work that we have done for many, many years, right? And and while certification can be important for some people, right? And certification can can highlight for some of us um, the idea that there have been things that, you know, a, a test or, or, or not that has been passed. Um, we wanna recognize that certification does not always necessarily mean that a person um, can or cannot perform form the job, right? And so when you are interviewing, to your question, Jaren, you asked about how do I know you want to ask those questions um, because certification might be important to you. Um, number of births might be important to you. Um, so when you are, are searching for that doula and looking out, um, 
asking that question about certification is important. But there are there are doula groups you can find. There are doula groups on Facebook. Um, you know, there are websites that you can uh, Google for that have listings of doulas that doulas can register and pretty much has all of their information uh, with regards to, um, you know, number of births, cost, location served, certifications, if that's important to you. Yes. Don't ever feel that it's too late. I definitely waited until the week of giving birth to find a doula. <laughs> and that's not too late either, Natasha. I always say you're not too late to get a doula as long as you're not crowning. If you're mm. crowning, then you have to get a postpartum doula. Okay. <laughs> mm. And for no. people like, go ahead, Tasha. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, even if you are packing your bag, right? You, If you text the right group chat, you might be able to find somebody in time. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Good advice. And, and speaking of advice for people like me who want to, who want to support and, and provide better care for birthing people, uh, for people like me who are not parents, how can we support? I know that uh, I'm, always, I'm always big on policy. I know that there's a, a omnibus bill that has been introduced in Congress uh, to address the black maternal health issue. Where are some ways that we can help support uh, birth people through this process. So I think one of the things, Sharon, is like just becoming educated and informed, right? Like you are doing the work right now by being a part of this conversation and absorbing this information um, and being able and sharing it with someone. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with someone. I think um, birthing people and birthing communities and families need the support of others um, and to be able to share that information widely um, across. Well, we have one last question for you all. Um, Some of our listeners, like you, Tia, they might be inspired to become a doula after, you know, their own birth experience. I know a a dear friend, shout out to Natalia Davis. She was working in the entertainment industry and she left uh, for a bit to to become a doula, right? And and it was, you know, changing women's lives and changing birthing people's lives um, through this this hands-on experience. Um, So what, what should people consider if they want to, enter into this work? Uh, What advice do you have for them about how they can explore it? I I would definitely say that um, there are different types of trainings available. There are different types of options that are available in different um, organizations that, you know, might align with your expectations. And Stephanie said this earlier, like if you are a crystal person, there's a training for you. If you are like you want to be on the front lines and, you know, address certain things around um, BIPOC individuals, there are also trainings for you. So kind of figuring out what um, the way in which you want to help is a good way to start and then finding a training that aligns with your expectations and your thoughts and how you want to contribute to the community. And fortunately now a lot of the trainings are, um, virtual. And so some of them you can do virtually. There are some more that are back to being in person. And so that's also really helpful so that people are able to explore a lot of different options um, if they are deciding that they want to go to get into birth work, but also like maybe even reaching out to your local doula and just having a conversation around like what doulas do and, you know, what it looks like and just being able to um, have a conversation with someone might even be a real helpful way to start. 
Absolutely. Well, Tia, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us here on Dear Culture. I know I learned a ton, so I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful that our listeners will take this information and use it uh, wisely. If you want to learn more about Stephanie, you can follow her on Instagram at Henry Q's. That's H-E-N-R-Y-Q-S. And to learn more about Tia, visit her website at metodoula.com. That's M-E-T-O-O-D-O-U-L-A.com. Or you can follow her at metodoula across social media platforms. As always, for more commentary on the culture, visit The Griot's website at www.thegrio.com. We want to remind our listeners to support your local black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Alayo Waste Beads. Alayo Waste Beads is a black owned, woman owned company centered around the ancient West African practice of waste beads. Creator Jesse Madden describes the practice of wearing waist beads as manifesting power. She describes this mindfulness-centered practice as helping wearers to navigate towards getting their needs met. Alayo provides private in-studio and video consultations. They run Tide Tribes, an education and support space for women focused on health and wellness. To learn more about Alayo Waist Beads, visit their website at www.com. Alayo.net. That's A-L-A-I-Y-O dot N-E-T. Or follow them on Instagram at Alayo Waystbeats. The Grio has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at thegrio.com. That's G-R-I-O dot com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Henriquez-Payne, and Abdul Kadoos.